Well, my friends, please uh, direct your attention with me to Psalm 39, verses 4 to 6. That'll be our text this morning. Psalm 39, 4 through 6. And I'm going to read it and pray for God's blessing on our time and then go from there. Psalm 39, 4 to 6. This is the word of the Lord. O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for bringing us to this time, revealing these words to us that we trust contain great wisdom in revealing you to us and revealing how to think in light of your reality about ourselves. We thank you that your word convicts, your word comforts, your word primarily reveals Christ and our great need of him and the all-sufficient sacrifice for sin that he is and the life, the eternal life that belongs to all who trust in him. We pray that you would exalt him, give us ears to hear and soft hearts and give me faithfulness and clarity in my proclamation so that you would do your purposes in our lives by your word and your spirit. All to the glory of Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, here we are. It is the last Sunday. It is the last day. And even by the time this sermon is over, it will be the last half day in the year of our Lord, 2023. And there is a wide range of emotions that any of us might be feeling, potentially. Uh, We might be feeling relief that the holidays are finally winding down. This one might be more prominent among parents with children. Um, There might be excitement about whatever plans we have for ringing in the new year tonight or celebrating tomorrow. Maybe some college football excitement that's ahead for you. What about existential angst and depression? Sometimes the passage of another year brings us face to face with the void as we're faced with the uncomfortable questions about time and our mortality. Is this true ever for you? I can vividly remember certain, not every year, certain New Year's days when I felt almost crushed by the weight of time's passage. And I go, how is life slipping by so quickly? Where did another year go? I just got used to writing 2023 on the date, and now it's gone. And what do I have to show for, for the year that's passed? What will I do with the year to come? Will I use it profitably? Will I squander it? This kind of these big scary questions about time. Where is time going? Where is my life going? Now, it may not be as dramatic for you as existential angst or dread, but I believe we can all relate with melancholy feelings, whether on New Year's Day or some other times of life, regarding the quickness of time and the brevity of our lives. And this feeling of anxiety, like, what is going on? What am I missing? It's uncomfortable. No one loves these feelings. And we can be inclined to see them as a curse. 
But what we're going to see from God's word today is that um, our transience, that's just the quickness of our lives and how impermanent we are, our transience is actually a very good and profitable subject of our meditation. Or maybe you're kind of on a different page than the sort of existential dread. Maybe we're too busy just rocking our to-do list, and we're just doing great. We're, we're, we're cranking stuff out. We're getting stuff done, and we're too busy to be caught up with these moody feelings about angst and depression and the brevity of time. Perhaps we're so caught up in the race of life, what we can accomplish, what we can accumulate, that we just don't have any capacity for meditations like this. If that's you, then, then whether this uh, state of constant busyness and productivity, it might make you feel healthier, might make you feel better. The reality is that um, it masks a profoundly misplaced confidence. Uh, we might be living a tragically unreflective life and setting ourselves up for epic disappointment. So maybe you should be feeling a little more anxiety about the passage of time. And so we come face to face with these three verses out of Holy Scripture, wisdom from God about ourselves and our relationship with him and with time. Now, you might have noticed I didn't read the whole Psalm 39. Usually when we preach out a psalm, we'll we'll look at the whole thing. Um, Next week we will. The plan is next week we're just going to look at the whole of Psalm 39. You can think of it like a, a vehicle with an engine. And today we're kind of, this is three verses, it's kind of the engine that drives the vehicle. We're going to look at this in detail and more particular. And then next week, Lord willing, we'll kind of drop it into the body and we'll kind of see how the whole thing works together. But New Year's time is a good period of our lives for both reflection and resolution. It's a good time to look around and evaluate our lives. And it's a good time to consider changes that we might make to our lives moving forward. So this week we're going to focus on reflection, and next week we'll focus on resolution. Now, um, in genre, in terms of what kind of psalm Psalm 39 is, it's a wisdom psalm. So on the one hand, like other psalms, it models a prayerful and Godward life uh, in covenant with the Lord. But it's also a particular kind of psalm. It's a wisdom uh, text. It's a piece of the, the Bible's wisdom literature. And so that also means what we're learning, we're reflecting on sound ways of seeing the world and sound ways of being in the world relative to God, in in reverent relationship to God, which is what the Proverbs call the fear of the Lord. Now, in the opening words of his great work, The Institutes of the Christian Religion, uh, theologian John Calvin wrote way back in the 16th century, I think he first wrote this when he was 26 years old, so not to give you more angst about what you're not getting done with your life, 26-year-old John Calvin wrote, Nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. And that's really what we're after today. Uh, A wiser grasp of ourselves and our own existence and of God. Or maybe we could be even more specific and say, a wise grasp of ourselves in relation to God. What we really are relative to God. So our main idea this morning... And kids, you're driving home from church or you're at lunch and your parents ask you did, you, did you pick up anything from the sermon? Did you hear a single thing? This is what you can tell them. This is what you will tell them. The sermon was about this. There's great profit in grasping our transience before God. And transience, again, just means our, our, our limited time, the quickness of our lives. There is great profit in grasping our transience 
before God. And under that main banner, what we'll do is draw seven lessons out of this text and its broader biblical context that it sits in. So seven lessons regarding this great prophet and grasping our transience before God. The first one is mainly in verse 4, and it is this. We know it, and we need to know it more. We know it, and we need to know it more. Listen to verse 4 again. O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Now consider what's going on there. When, When someone says, Lord, help me to know X, help me to know that X, what does that mean? Well, No one would make a request like this if he didn't already believe X to be true. You wouldn't pray, God help me to know that the clouds in the sky are made of cotton candy. Uh, If you don't think it's true, you're not going to ask God to help you know it's true. But on the other hand, to make the request is an acknowledgement that the psalmist needs to more fully know this truth of how fleeting he is. He needs to have his end brought more fully in view and he needs to internalize maybe in a more profound way my days are very limited they're very measured and this may be the case for us too we might be able to acknowledge the fact that life is short have you ever talked to a very old person about how how long their life is felt they'll probably say it just speeds by it just feels like I, I was a kid and then I blinked and now I'm 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 very aged we can acknowledge that fact but we still need to get it more fully We need it to seep into our bones because it has a lot of wisdom to teach us to see ourselves this way. And so there's this great value in this prayer, imitating this prayer. Lord, help me to live with my end and maybe the nearness of my end more readily in view. And to aid in this picture, verses 5 and 11 of our psalm use the terminology of man as a mere breath. You see this repeated. Surely man, all mankind stands as a mere breath in verse 5 and verse 11, surely all mankind is mere breath. And um, this is a vivid picture. Think about when you breathe and there's a puff of air that comes out of your lungs. And as soon as it's out there, it's spreading, it's dispersing, it's gone. it's, It's gone to nothing. And this word breath, this Hebrew term is the same one that comes up a lot in the book of Ecclesiastes. It dominates the book of Ecclesiastes. It's often translated vanity there in our translation. So just the The first kind of verse of the body of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And we actually talked about this a little while back when we were in our survey class on Ecclesiastes in Equipping Hour, that often people who are teaching Ecclesiastes will say, oh yeah, this means meaningless. Life is meaningless. There's no point to anything. But it doesn't mean that. It means, the way it's translated here, is breath. It means breath. It points to transience and feebleness. An impermanence of everything under the sun, which includes you and me. Life is short. Our time is a mere breath. Some of us will live relatively long and fruitful lives, maybe even reaching triple digits if we're especially blessed. Others of us will be cut down earlier. Tragically, some of us maybe much earlier. We don't know. But either way, our life is over in a flash, and death will come for us eventually, and there is nothing we can do to stop it. So despite how great and formidable and impressive and permanent we might feel at times, and this, these feelings are especially common among the, the young, maybe teenagers, those young adults in the strength of life, it can just feel like, I'm pretty impressive, I'm, pr- I'm pretty solid. Nevertheless, man is frail 
We are all frail. And not only is that the case, not only is that true, but we need God to help us to see it, that it is true. Remember Calvin saying, one half of wisdom is right self-knowledge. Right self-knowledge that we are a mere breath. This is a worthy prayer for us to emulate in our private devotions to God. Even as you think about what kinds of things are you going to pray for in the new year. Just the, the, the idea of, Lord, help me to see what a small, weak, and temporary person I am. Remember what I said earlier about overconfidence. Uh, if we feel invincible, we especially need the wisdom of God showing us how transient we are. And just how easily the, it could be all over. And by the time we're done, whenever we're done with our lives, just how fast it will all have felt by the time we hit the finish line. It will all have just whizzed by. So we know our transience. We know the limitation of our lives. And we need to know it more. That's the first lesson to draw. The second lesson to draw is... That God is the cause of our transience. God is the cause of our transience, of our short lives. And this is from the beginning of verse 5. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths. Now this is a small unit of measure. The handbreadth is the width of your four non-thumb fingers. Um, You see it used in measurements in the Bible for construction, uh, buildings that are described. It's like us saying, help me to see that by your doing, God, our lives are only inches long. It's just a few inches long. It's kind of a metaphor, right? It's spatial, but it's like saying it's really short. And again, we've we've seen this problem of falsely feeling invincible. Another problem that that this psalm is addressing is that we do feel our transience. We feel our weakness and our smallness, but we feel it in a godless way. We're just considering ourselves and we're considering time like we're, we're, we're floating like twigs on this big river of time. And there's no kind of sense of God in the picture. It's just I'm really small. Time's going really quickly. And this text instructs us to lift our eyes up and to recognize, yes, it's true that we're transient and God has made it so. Why are our lives short? Well, when Adam and Eve, our first parents, sinned, Their sin brought death and cursing into the world. But the death and cursing came from God. It came from God. It wasn't God's fault morally, but it it came from him. Uh, Romans 8.20 says that he has subjected our world to futility because of sin. He has our time in his hands. And just think about it. He could have made our lives much longer if he chose. He could have decided that we were all going to be like Adam and live like 900 years. He decided that that wasn't going to be the case. We, we die much sooner than that. Uh, Psalm 90 that uh, Terry read from earlier in the, in the opening. Uh, Moses says, we may live 70 years or if by reason of strength, 80 years. We just have these few decades of life. And God is the one who made it so. So if on this New Year's we're feeling the rush of time passing, remember God. Remember that God is the one who set the timer. There's like a timer going in the, one of those egg timers. It's ticking. He's the one who set the time. What does this realization do in practical terms? Well, as scary as the transience of life can feel, this realization that it's God's doing lifts our eyes upward to look to God and to ask the right questions, to kind of go to the right place with this. Instead of just going, gee whiz, life is short and I'm nothing but a breath in the wind, it instructs us to look to God and say, God, why did you make it this way? What do you have to teach me? What's the meaning of this? What's your purpose here? 
And so we acknowledge our transience in the presence of the God who made it so. The third lesson is very similar. It's also about God. The third lesson is God is the reference point of our transience. God is the reference point of our transience. This is from the next line in verse 5. And my lifetime is as nothing before you, next to you. It's not only because of God, but also before him, next to him, in comparison with him, that our life appears so light and quick and insubstantial. Again, it's not sufficient simply to consider our life is short. We do this in a kind of God-centered way. Our lives are short specifically in comparison to God's eternal existence. We might compare ourselves with other creatures that live a long time. The Greenland shark that's cruising the North Atlantic, they live at least 250 years, maybe up to 500 years. Can you believe that? A shark? Or the Methuselah bristlecone pine in California's White Mountains that scientists believe is over 4,800 years old. What an amazing thought, these living creatures that have just uh, watched the passage of century after century in this world. But even that, set aside other creatures. What about God himself? Uh, Those old creatures are, are just a drop in the bucket compared with their eternal creator who lives in his own realm of existence entirely outside of time. He doesn't undergo any change. He doesn't go from younger to older. He just is. And to consider God's eternity and to meditate long upon God's eternity gives us a proper sense of our own limitations. And if we're honest, it's kind of scary. You just sit there and think about eternity, about a God, especially a God who never began, who is eternal, in, like, who is eternal before time, before everything began. He is eternal. Just thinking about that. I remember being a kid and lying in my bed, trying to go to sleep, thinking about God's e- eternality and just kind of freaking out. It's kind of an unsettling thought. And I would say, good, let it unsettle you. Let it shake you. That, that feeling is called the fear of the Lord, just how utterly great and, and other he is. An eternal God who never began, who never changes. So we see his infinite greatness and we see our own transient breathiness. And that is the beginning of true wisdom. There's a lot of wisdom to be gained from seeing those things. So God's eternity is the reference point of our transience. And I would even say that God making us in his image is part of the reason why our transience bothers us so much. Is that we have what the the writer of Ecclesiastes calls eternity in our hearts. We were tuned for bigger things than simply the, the temporal lives we live today. Because we're made in God's image. It bothers us in ways. It doesn't bother ants that they're going to die in, in, in such a short amount of time. So, God's eternity is the reference point of our transience. The fourth lesson is this. Human endeavors aren't as permanent as they feel. Human endeavors or human works are not as permanent as they feel. We get this from the first two lines of verse 6. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. And this same word breath that we saw in verse 5, it comes up again as nothing for nothing for breath. They are in turmoil. Man goes about our lives performing activities and trying to accomplish our goals. We are in turmoil. We make lots of noise. We kick up lots of dust doing what we do. But what does it amount to? Nothing. A mere breath. Some of us have had goals that we wanted to accomplish in 2023. They may have been work goals, money goals, academic goals, fitness goals, reading goals. 
And maybe you've accomplished your goals and feel like you've had an awesome year. Maybe you crushed it. Or maybe you're feeling crushed in light of your goals by how little you were able to do. You might look back at that list of, or that, that goal of how much you wanted to do X, Y, or Z and go, oh my goodness, what a terrible year I had. I got nothing done. Again, this is a much-needed injection of godly wisdom into our hearts. A great deal of our sound and fury in this life won't actually amount to anything permanent. Now, that's not to say that these endeavors are illegitimate, like work and fitness and reading, etc. It's not to say those things are bad. It's to put them in proper perspective. That however much our bustle and activity might feel like it's building towards something lasting and real, eternity will reveal the transient value of so much of it. Things that we slaved away for and made sacrifices for, blood, sweat, and tears that we invested for, things that belong only to this world, and and much of it will endure only a strikingly brief amount of time. But it is true that that the things that we do in this life have eternal value. I don't want to be a, a Gnostic and totally denigrate material endeavors as though they were unworthy or bad. That's not a biblical view of work and of uh, uh, our endeavors in this life. They matter, but they are limited. They matter, but they are transient. They are passing away. So what matters about your work is not ultimately what you get done or what kind of position you attain or the respect of other people for you, all this. What matters is how did you please the Lord? How did you work for his glory? What matters about your fitness is not ultimately your figure or your muscles or even your longevity of life, but how you stewarded your body for the eternal good of others. What matters about your reading is not that you got smarter or became a more interesting conversationalist. What matters is, did you learn to love God better with your mind by understanding his world and appreciating literary beauty more fully? Man builds many things that at first may seem permanent and impressive. We do things, we do works throughout the year that we can look back and go, that's pretty cool. That'll, that'll stand the test of time. Think about ancient ruins. And when they were built, it's amazing to, to look around at ancient ruins and they're all kind of crumbled and decaying. And I, I find myself just kind of picturing them when they were built looking like this. Like they had all these, this monotone color, like they didn't paint anything and everything's sort of crumbling. Like that's what it looked like in ancient Greece. No, it looked really, really impressive when it was new and stately and painted various colors, it would have left their observers dumbstruck if we could be transported in time. We would have been in awe at some of these things. But now they're crumbling, they're weather-worn, stripped of color, and they were made by men who once were quite impressive, and we can't even name them. Remember King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4? He was the Babylonian emperor in the 6th century BC. He was quite possibly the most powerful person in his world at that time. And one day he's walking on the roof of his royal palace and he's marveling at the glory of his kingdom. Kind of a self-congratulatory tour of like, wow, look what I've done. He says to himself, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. This is insanity, biblically. And so what did God do on the spot? He humbled the emperor, making him lose his mind so that he acted like an ox in the field for seven years. And what's ironic is that, in a sense, it's almost like what the king didn't realize is he was already out of his mind in the way he was thinking. And the Lord kind of manifested the out-of-his-mindness and said, you're going to act like an animal for seven years. And after that time, the Lord restored his mind, and this is how he spoke of God at the end of Daniel chapter 4. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, 
and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. All his works are right and his ways just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. So rather than being humbled forcibly by the Lord, as the, prophet, as the king Nebuchadnezzar was, let's learn the same wisdom by heeding what he teaches in his word. We're accounted as nothing before him, and even our most impressive works are doomed to wither away in this world sooner or later. So brothers and sisters, let's take this turning of the years as an opportunity to look around and survey our lives and to ask ourselves questions like, Am I investing in temporal works as though I expected them to last forever? Am I investing eternal importance in time-bound things? Am I sober and realistic about the transience of my accomplishments? The fifth lesson to draw from our text this morning is that human gain isn't as permanent as it feels. So we just saw human accomplishment is not as permanent as it feels. Now, fifth... Human gain isn't as permanent as it feels. This is at the end of verse 6. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. In some ways, this is kind of the, the analog to the point we just made, but not regarding our works, but regarding what we accumulate, our things. And this is a common biblical theme. It comes up in Ecclesiastes a lot. In fact, these three verses we're looking at are almost kind of like a slice, a distillation of Ecclesiastes kind of dropped into a psalm. But Ecclesiastes 2, verses 18 and 21, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Then he goes on and says, Sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. Again, this also is breathiness. It's this transience thing. You build this thing up and it goes off to somebody else. It's a fact of life that encapsulates the futility of our material gain, that you work hard. You may play it smart. You may be disciplined. You may kind of direct your life toward accumulating, amassing an impressive pot of wealth. And so what? You may leave it to your kids. Eventually, it will go to places you could have never dreamed and never known. You may be thinking, well, I'll give it to my kids. And then what will happen? Will they give it to their kids? They'll give it to their kids. Eventually, pretty soon, your great-grandkids might not even know your name. And by that time, you can be sure that some of your heirs will have been fools with the money and will have done really reckless things, even hurting themselves with it. Hopefully not all of your heirs, but somewhere along the line, that'll start happening. Not to mention the tax man who'll come and get his share all along the way. However secure and lasting our pots of gold may feel to us, these two are a mere breath. They don't last. So the same application point that we saw Last time goes here, as it is with our accomplishments, so it is with our accumulation. What are you investing in? Are you investing in temporary, passing, transient things as though they were eternal, as though they were permanent? It's biblical wisdom to recognize the folly of these kinds of investments. Again, temporal things are fine as long as we understand their fleeting nature and set our priorities accordingly. It's not bad to have things. It's not bad to have wealth. It's not evil. It's a matter of what do we think about them regarding time. The trouble comes when we lose sight of the breathiness 
of our material possessions and wealth, and we invest outsized importance in them. So is there perhaps some area in your life where the Lord is convicting your heart about investing permanent importance in temporal uh, material goods? It's certainly something worth praying about and reflecting on in the new years. We, we enter new years. We evaluate our lives. Lord, is there something material that I'm investing outsized importance in? And in our day-to-day lives, it's very easy to be lulled into distorted thinking. Our neighbors are all out there accumulating wealth and pursuing material comforts as, this, as though this were a major purpose in life because they believe that it is. And today, this, the truth seems cloudy and obscure because of uh, the world that we're surrounded by, the, the things that we see with our eyes. But another day is coming. When Christ returns to bring all of our works into judgment, that day will shine with perfect clarity what we have invested in, what we have prioritized. So wouldn't it be a wise New Year's prayer to say, Lord, help me to grasp the transitory nature of my accomplishments and of my accumulations in this fleeting life. So that's a fifth lesson. The sixth lesson for us is this. Um, Recognizing our transience is paradoxically freeing. Recognizing our transience is paradoxically freeing. Or we might just say it's surprisingly freeing. Remember what I said earlier, that this time of year we can feel melancholy about the passage of time. And as creatures of our culture, and maybe this is true of every human culture, I don't know, we tend to view that as a problem, that sadness or that angst of like, oh no, time is slipping away from me. What am I doing? We can view that as a liability, that this is a curse. But when it comes to gaining biblical wisdom, these feelings can actually be a, a very valuable blessing. Recently, I saw somebody post on social media. It was probably a city dweller who was visiting family in the suburbs for Christmas and said this, the longer I spend in the suburbs, the more I think about death. And I think he meant it as a complaint and a critique. Kind of sounds like a snobbish critique against the suburbs from an an urbanite. But I didn't read it that way at all. I thought, wow, dude, maybe you should live in the suburbs. That's really valuable. An opportunity in 2023 America to think about death? You don't pass up a golden opportunity like that. It's really hard to to see through the bubble, so to speak, and to see the reality of our limitations and our transience. A lot of the existential dread about our transience and our creaturely weakness stems from the fact that our expectations are not dialed to reality. When we lose sight of of how small we are, we, we, we expect to be able to make permanent things out of temporary materials. That's often why this thought can be so anxiety-inducing for us. We're going like, what have I done? What have I accomplished? And what we're kind of expecting things of ourselves that are just not possible, not realistic in this life. And if this life and the time we have in this life were all we had, can you just imagine how that loads up every second with unbearable pressure? Like you have this finite number of seconds, and each one that ticks by is like, it'll never come back, right? And and this is all you've got. You just think like everything has to matter so much. It seems like it would be crushing the pressure to maximize, to optimize, to achieve and conquer and accumulate. And we can feel that pressure. And on times like New Year's Day, we can be haunted by questions like, what am I doing with my life? Where is it going? What do I have to show for the last year? The good, the relieving news God has for us here is that he has made us as breathy creatures that are not cut out for that kind of pressure. 
Our text today is, yes, it's sobering, it's humbling. Maybe if we're feeling overconfident in ourselves, it's humbling. But it's also a relief from unbearable burdens that we, we have to justify our existence with all the things that we can do every year. We can kind of internalize that feeling. I gotta, I gotta justify my existence by always to do things I got done. And God's saying, no, 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 no. You're a mere breath. You're a mere breath. Don't expect more from yourself. This morning, God is offering us relief. He's encouraging us to find relief from our, uh, by, by reflecting on our frailty. And he's offering us sanity as he, as he holds before us the transience of our lives. It is a paradox. It doesn't seem like that would follow. Seeing how small and, and temporary we are would, would lift a burden from us. There's freedom in recognizing our limits. So that means that if you get this new year a, a little visit from that monster of existential dread and you're, and you're going, oh no, time, what's happening? We can lean into that. We don't have to flee into distractions like, oh, I need to just keep watching more TV or whatever. I don't want to think about it. We can lean it. We can look right at it and say, yes, time is fleeing past me. Realistically, yeah, I did some stuff in 2023 that was valuable, not as much as I probably wanted. All ultimately that was done under the sun is still vanity. I didn't change the world all that much. I'm still a breathy, weak, quickly fading creature in this river of time and existence. We can be realistic about it. And that's really what God's offering us, the ability to be realistic and to be relieved from those pressures. So there is freedom in recognizing our limitations before God. Um, the, the seventh and final lesson for us is that Jesus experienced human transience before us. Jesus experienced human transience before us. Now maybe you followed along with everything I've said and, and you've agreed. You've said, yes, this is true. It is healthy to have realistic expectations that I'm a mere breath and that my life, my accomplishment, the things I accumulate are all going to scatter quickly and it's wise and it's good to think this way. Maybe you recognize that, but that could still leave you feeling really hopeless. I mean, it kind of is justifiably so. You're going, could this, could this, can I be happy with this? It's realistic, but is it happy? Do we have anything to say besides, no, you're not a big deal. Adjust your expectations accordingly. Have a good year. Thankfully, there's more to say about that. There is good news here, biblically. If you're, if you're feeling hopeless about the futility and the shortness of the years in your life, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Though he is the true and eternal God, the Son, he was clothed with true humanity in the incarnation. We just celebrated that at Christmas. And this meant that he, taking on a human nature, he experienced everything that it means to be human, including the weakness and transience of life in this world. His life was cut short at age 33. Most of us are older than that. He died younger. Have you ever you think about that? Jesus, look around at like a 33-year-old. That's how old Jesus was when he died. After three years of difficult and apparently fruitless ministry. And the Gospels themselves don't tell us too much about Jesus' internal experience of weakness and transience. There are some areas where you can see he's struggling with weakness. But there's an intriguing prophetic text that fills this in for us. Isaiah 49, verse 4, one of the servant songs of Isaiah that predict the coming Christ. We have this snippet of the servant's internal dialogue regarding the ministry of, of being God's agent of justice and salvation. And he says this, But I said, I have labored in vain. 
I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. So while trusting in the Lord God, he confesses that his labor and his self-sacrifice seems to have been for naught. And guess what we heard twice in that verse? The word vanity. Yes, it's the same word breath in our text. I gave myself, I spent my strength for nothing but mere breath. It's scattered to the wind. All like puffs of, of, of breath out in the world. That's how life felt for Jesus in a human sense. What is God's response to him? What is the actual fruit of his ministry? It's in verse 6 of Isaiah 49. This is what the Lord says to the servant. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. The Lord says, I'm making you a representative for Israel. I'm making you the restorer of the tribes of Jacob and further yet, a light of salvation to all the nations, including you and me, friends, 20 centuries on. Jesus lived a short and difficult life He felt the vanity and the weakness and transience of human existence. In an earthly plane, it looked like a wasted life, cut down in his prime with so much unrealized potential, we might say. But in God's hands, Jesus' self-sacrifice, his death for sinners on the cross, has yielded eternal fruit, salvation for countless millions that will forever redound to God's glory. So what does this mean for us as we contemplate our own transience, Christians? We'll take heart that the Lord Jesus went before us in this quickly fading and breathy existence. And yet he produced eternal fruit. After his sacrificial death for sinners, he rose from the dead glorified. He ascended to heaven where he is seated at the right hand of God and from where he will return to judge and to rule. His resurrection and glory along with the complete forgiveness of sins that he offers to all who believe, is ours by faith. All who come to him and trust in him, it belongs to us. His forgiveness, his resurrection, and his glory. So that means in Christ, our transience is not crushing. We who believe in him have a certainty of a coming resurrection to share with Christ. And those eternal desires that lie deep in our hearts that are dissatisfied with our transience, they have this prize that will satisfy them. We were made for eternity and we'll get it with Jesus. This also means that like Jesus, our labors do redound to eternal value. And just as his apparent fruitlessness in the world and apparent vanity in the world did yield eternal good, so will our works in him. It's interesting that The Bible's longest discourse on the resurrection is in 1 Corinthians 15. And this is where the Apostle Paul caps off that whole discussion. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. He says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain because of the resurrection." It is only because of this resurrection hope that we can take an honest, good, hard look at our quickly passing existence without fear. If time is carrying us like a river and we're stressing about how fast the river's going, it's because we know that up ahead there's this waterfall of mortality. There's a waterfall I'm, gonna, I'm speeding toward. That's why it's so stressful how fast I'm going. We know that death lies ahead. So it's only the secure future of a resurrection and glory shared with Jesus that can give us confidence through the rapids. 
And we can say, yes, there's a waterfall. Yes, I'm speeding toward it. Yes, I'm going over it. But I'm with Jesus, so I'll make it. That changes everything. Now, if you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, if you're not trusting him, what is there to say? Today's message leaves you in a tough spot, doesn't it? A very tough spot. The dread that you might feel about your transient existence is justified. Basically, all of the hard things this morning is yours and none of the good. If if you're outside of Christ, all we can say to you is, yes, your your life is very short. Your days are very futile and it's going to be over and death is coming for you and you have no hope. But it doesn't have to be that way. Because in Christ, his offer of eternal life to all who come to him includes eternal life, resurrection, glory shared in the presence of God, forgiveness of all of our sins, our estrangement from God caused by our sins. Christ is overcome by his death on the cross for us. Come to him and trust him today. And know a sure and living hope that nothing can take away. Just imagine how beautiful it would be every new year of your life to look and say, another year went by, I'm going to share glory with Jesus forever. I'll, I'll never run out of years. This can all be yours in Christ today if you trust him. There is great profit in grasping our transience before God. I think John Calvin was right. The true wisdom boils down to the twofold knowledge of ourselves and God, and we sought that today, our, ourselves specifically in relation to God. If we don't understand that, we don't understand ourselves at all. We've seen that grasping our transience causes us to acknowledge God and how big he is in a way that fits his greatness. It directs how we invest our lives and what kinds of results to expect from life, saving us from all kinds of grave disappointment and, and foolish uh, misinvestments. It frees us from the crushing, unrealistic burdens of what we, we think we might be able to do with this life. And it helps us identify with Christ in his sufferings. And it points our eyes to the life to come in which all of our futility and transience will melt away into eternal resurrection glory with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and we say with you that it is wise for us to heed your words and to recognize that we are a mere breath. This is a scary thought, but also a freeing thought. And we pray that every soul in the hearing of your word this morning would experience the liberation of just embracing what we are relative to you, that that we would fear you and tremble at how great you are, and that we would be sober-minded about our smallness and about the quickness of time, and that all this would heighten our sense of urgency that we would be in Christ that we would know his resurrection as our own, that we would know forgiveness of sin, that we would have the assurance that in him nothing is in vain. We pray that every soul would be clinging to him and would have confidence, even able to say, yes, time is quick, but I have eternal life with Christ. May that be the case for each of us this morning, all to your praise. In Jesus' name, amen.